Hello everyone, it might not have escaped your notice, it's Christmas and uh, we at Shot Reverse Shot very much enjoy Christmas presents and you could give us no finer present than a jolly nice review on iTunes. Yes, that's right, and I know what you're thinking, you hear that and you think, what, a review as big as me, sir? No, that is not necessary, that is too big of a review. Just a short review, rate us, you know, let iTunes know that what we do is good and that you like it and that can help us find new listeners. Enjoy the show! Hello everyone, and indeed, Merry Christmas. Uh, Welcome to Shot Reverse Shot, I'm Matt Risby. Good evening, and joining me as always, via the miracle of satellite technology, it's the Phantom Menace, it's Ed Davis. How the devil are you, sir? Good, yes, getting very much into the festive spirit by not watching any Christmas films, Mm. because there are very few of them that I actually really like. Yeah, yeah, and we'll be getting into that in a minute, but we're in a kind of a weird situation here, because people will be listening to this episode having just seen there's a new Star Wars movie out. I don't know if you've heard this, Ed, but they'd have just seen it. But we're in a peculiar situation of the fact that we're talking about it after it's come out, but we're recording this episode before we've seen it. So do you think people come, you know, next, next Monday are going to be kind of crying into their Kylo Ren mugs? (laughs) Possibly. I mean, at, at this point, I feel like no film could live up to people's expectations for what this uh, Star Wars film will be. And so even if it's legitimately good, and my feeling is that it may not be great, but it probably won't be Phantom Menace bad, mm-hmm. it still will leave people, huge swathes of people, really, really disappointed. Yeah, yeah. It's, it exists in a fairly large space, doesn't it? It's got to be better than the prequels. And, like, at least as good as everyone wants it to be, which is, that's a huge distance between those two points. Yeah, and it also is unprecedented in that it's telling new stories in the Star Wars universe, as opposed to the prequels, which were filling in the blanks. And I know, obviously, the expanded universe and everything existed, but that was always very niche. It wasn't something that really broke over to the mainstream in a huge way, in the way that obviously this film is going to be because it may have broken the opening opening weekend record in the US and possibly worldwide. So mm. this is very much an unprecedented thing. So it has to be its own thing, but it also has to contend with the fact that it represents, until people see it, it represents the possibility of, you know, something people have dreamed about for, for years, which is to see what happens to all these iconic characters who most people haven't seen since 1983. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's a weird thing. What what do you kind of expect to see and what don't you want to see and what do you think you'll see? What In terms of things I don't want to see, the thing that I really, really don't want is I don't want it to be super neat in how it connects the new characters to the old ones. Because mm-hmm. I feel like that was one of the things about the prequels that was particularly awful was the fact that it tried to tie everything in in ways that just seemed really awkward and which you know people say that uh, remakes and prequels can't spoil the old films but i feel like the way in which lucas in the prequels basically tried to say oh yeah anakin built c-3po um and or r2d2 was central to this entire six six film series and just kind of never mentioned it 
you know, never mm. mentioned that he knew Luke's dad and or any of this sort of stuff and, and explained that all the way by saying, oh, they had their memories wiped. It, it all kind of felt very, very cheap. And I really don't want to be explaining that, oh, all of these new characters are like the kids of the old ones. You know, I would much prefer it to be a little messier in introducing these new characters into this world. Yeah, someone pointed out the other day that it's they, they kind of talked about it having to carry on the Star Wars story through the lineage of, of the people, the original stars. And if that's true, then it feels like the most likely person to be an offspring of one of the original cast is Adam Driver, because he does kind of look a bit like Harrison Ford. Mm. And, you know, it can't really be Daisy Ridley because she's got like a British accent. <laughs> that would be kind of odd. And it can't really be John Boyega because we already know that he's a stormtrooper who was made to be a stormtrooper. Plus the fact he's he's black and all the other characters are white. So unless kind of Lando was left alone with Leia for a little bit, you know, <laughs> he's a devilishly handsome man, I would. So yeah, it's, it's a peculiar thing to think that, that that's the most likely thing. But if that happens, that's going to be rubbish. Yeah, I think, I think one of the underappreciated elements of the original trilogy is that they George Lucas went in with the story this grand story but he only maybe really expected to make one film in that series and mm-hmm. so for the second one he had to get other writers in and they had to come up with new stuff and stuff that you know and then it evolved and there were things in the second film that don't really make sense in uh, in context of the late ones such as the fact that Leia kisses Luke full on the mouth which is oh. not something that you do if you plan to reveal in the third film that she is his sister because yeah. it's just weird. Um, and so I, I think what's nice is that they're, even though that stuff um, clearly wasn't planned and it doesn't all kind of line up perfectly, the messiness of that storytelling is what gives it its kind of humanity and its organic feel and it doesn't feel overly kind of pre-planned. This new film and all the subsequent ones, even though they are probably going to be a lot more micromanaged because it's Disney and they have assembled a, drain, a brain trust and everything to try and make it all work... I would like them to leave uh, opportunity in there for that sense of spontaneity for the story to kind of grow out in, in ways that feel organic and don't feel like they're just trying to cram everything together or to make it fit together too neatly. Mm. I'll tell you what I want to see. I want to see a bit of a bit of a clearing house. I'd like to see some of the old characters permanently removed <laughs> from, from things. I, I don't want to have to see... Han Solo and Chewie and Leia and R2 and C-3PO and, and Luke Skywalker just dragged out for all of these films. Mm. I want to see it as the transition. Here's the old guard, here's the new guard, and let's go and have our our story with these new guys. And maybe we'll kind of check back in with those people every now and then, but I don't want to have to see him to shoehorn all those characters in. Yeah, I mean, I kind of get the feeling that this will be Luke's last showing. Mm-hmm. obviously at the time that we're recording this we don't know and, and we have both tried as hard as possible to avoid anything any details like i haven't really watched any of the tv spots or anything you know every so often they'll be like new tv spot has 30 seconds more footage and i don't bother watching it because you know i, I prefer to see all of that footage in context rather than just random shots of x-wings flying around um mm-hmm. i people so people will know if this happens but i kind of expect that Luke is going to be the Ben Kenobi of this one because he is, as as has been pointing out, he is now pretty much the same age that Alec Guinness was in the first one. And it would make sense for him to die having imparted the knowledge of the Force or, or the, the kind of initial spark, the inciting incident of what have you 
to you know the new generations the new the new characters to the john boyega's character for example um mm. and i wouldn't be uh against that i think i would prefer him to die rather than to him turn to the dark side because i feel like that would undercut the good work that they have done in the previous films of stressing how much he fought against that impulse and eventually you know went and made good on it Mm-hmm. So I think I'd prefer him to die than to be made evil or for him turning evil to be a thing that happens at the very end of the film and which, you know, then is a driving force of the remainder of the series. Like, I, I wouldn't want him them to start and suddenly, oh, yeah, Luke's evil and that happened at some point in the last 30 years. That would be, I feel, a bit too abrupt. If they take their time over it and Ryan Johnson gets to handle him going full-on evil in his his version of the story, then that would be a lot more appealing to me. Mm. I'll tell you one thing I want to see. I'm kind of, I feel a bit sorry for Andy Serkis because he always ends up playing motion capture characters and he never gets any screen time. And it's no different in this. He's playing a motion capture character, which we know the name of, but we don't know anything about his appearance or anything like that. I would like to see Andy Serkis driving a motion capture puppet of Andy Serkis. <laughs> Yeah. And that would that would be it. It would just be a, a photorealistic, but a little bit creepily unrealistic Andy Serkis, mo-capped by Andy Serkis. And that'll be the finally the role that gets him his Oscar nomination. <laughs> yeah, but it'll it'll be ruled out with some weird technicality. <laughs> you can't have a white dot on your face or something if you're going to be nominated for an Oscar. But uh, in all seriousness, if you can be serious about a film about fucking robots and aliens in the stars, I do hope it's good. I'm going to see it on opening night. I will be signing off from social media on Monday. So I kind of don't catch any spoilers because that's when the film premieres and I'm pretty sure they'll start to leak quicker than a holy sieve. Yeah, I mean, I am I, I probably won't stay off social media because I'm an addict and there's just no way I'm going to not be on social media. But so far I've done very well to avoid spoilers. And I don't know if it's just the fact that I follow very nice people who don't spread details around or, mm-hmm. or I've just been very, very judicious in when I've been logging on. But... Uh, yeah, I, I'll probably see it over opening weekend and then I get to listen back to this and hear if our predictions were way off base. But I I, I am looking forward to seeing it. I hope that it's good. And I think that J.J. Abrams is a, a solid enough director and he has good good people have contributed to the script. So I think there is a, a better chance than not of it being at least good fun entertainment. Mm, mm, which is all we really want. So yeah, Christmas is here. Um, most people will be expecting to hear our end of year show, which is also our birthday episode, isn't it? Because uh, we were kind of forged uh, around this time in 2011. But we're not getting it uh, this year because uh, we're going to kind of hold off to give us every opportunity to catch up with all the films this year, including Star Wars. And we'll be dropping that between Christmas and New Year, won't we? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is weird because usually most of the main stuff has dropped in the UK before Christmas. And that's why we were always able to do our end of year stuff, because except, except in situations like over here where Django Unchained would open on Christmas Day, you would basically everything in the UK has has been seen by the start of the Christmas break. And that's what mm. we base our criteria on is as long as a film has been released in the preceding year in the UK. So. Um, but this year, Star Wars is coming out uh, around about the time, like basically on the weekend where we would usually record that episode, and so it'd be just too much of a rush to get it done. And so we're giving yeah, ourselves, absolutely. we're affording ourselves a little bit of extra time. 
Plus, as well, I'm on holiday, so <laughs> that's a big contributing factor. Yeah, basically, um, it's your fault. Yeah, it's all my fault. Christmas films, we're going to do is just a quick Christmas episode just to kind of fill people in on what's going on and give you something to listen to while you're bored at work counting down the clock. Have you got a favourite Christmas film, Ed? Or have you got a famous, a favourite non-conventional Christmas film? Well, I think non-conventional is, is obviously going to be Die Hard mm-hmm. because that's just one of the best films ever made, an amazing action movie and a film that you know does make Christmas central to its premise in the fact that John McClane is going over to visit his ex-wife or, or his estranged wife, I'd say, at her Christmas party and they uh, embed Christmas music into the score and things like that. In terms of actual Christmas movies, probably The Muppets Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. Which is one that was very big for me as a kid and which I do feel, even though it has the, the kind of fourth wall breaking with Gonzo always talking to camera and there's lots of, you know, kind of very wry, self-aware jokes throughout. It does commit to the elements of the Charles Dickens stories that all good adaptations get right, which is that it is at points very sad. And particularly when you get to the ghosts of Christmas yet to come, really scary and creepy. Mm. Did you grow up watching the version with the, the extra song in it? Uh, no, I didn't hear that until maybe two or three years ago. And I was mm. glad I didn't because that song's not very good. Yeah, 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 it's not. My unconventional Christmas movie would be uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I'm a big fan of that. That's a good one. I think that's a really, really fun film to watch, which is not really a Christmas movie, but someone wears a Santa hat at some point in it, and it's kind of set over the Christmas period. And also a film that I always like watching at Christmas, but it isn't a Christmas movie at all, is Edward Scissorhands. Uh, yeah, I can see that. That has a, a wintry feel to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically anything with snow is kind of, kind of tenuous enough. Uh, to connect anything to that. I always used to like watching A Nightmare Before Christmas, but oh, yeah. Tim Burton came out this year and said it's not a Christmas film, it's a Halloween film. And I was like, well, that's not true, because it's set during Christmas. Well, yeah, you know, Roland Barthes said about the death of the author, so really his interpretation is, only, is as valid as anyone else's. And if we all think it's a Christmas movie, because it has Christmas in the title, <laughs> and it revolves around someone trying to steal Christmas, I think it's fair to say that it is a Christmas movie. Yeah, shut up, Burton, you dick. What are you playing at? <laughs> yeah. if, if you make Alice in Wonderland, I don't think you're allowed to offer any opinion. Mm. He's not done a tone yeah. in for that yet. No, or the that Planet of the Apes film that he did that everyone forgets about. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that that was his... I think everyone gave him a pass for that, because it's like, yeah, everyone always gets one. Mm. And then at some point you can't say, well, everyone gets six. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. That is, uh, that's the problem. You keep making that same mistake. There's a lot of kind of shamelessly bad Christmas films. And so many of these kind of cash in on the fact that it's a, it's a big time for families to go to the cinema, which it kind of remains to be, you know, remains true to this day, doesn't it? I mean, there's a lot of prestige releases over, over Christmas nowadays, isn't there as well? Yeah. I mean, the Christmas period is the, in the US is the busiest time of the year because everyone has the day off and every day is essentially a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, which is traditionally the busiest day of any box office week. So people will have the time to basically watch everything. And that's why studios try and put out either, certainly in the wake of something like Avatar, they'll try and put out a big blockbustery sort of thing or a kind of a big family kids movie, or you'll get like the Oscar contenders expanding during that week. You also get the kind of anti-Christmas Christmas films, which open around that time of year, starting with, I mean, the first notable example was The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which opened on Christmas Day in 2000. There's snow in that as well. Yeah, there's snow in that. Trans-Siberian, another really good Christmas movie. Um, mm-hmm. 
yeah, like so that opened on Christmas Day in 2011, I think, and that was that was billed like the tagline for it. And one of the great taglines of recent years was the feel bad film of uh, the feel feel bad Christmas film of the year or something like that. And it mm. was it was that <laughs> it was a really difficult film to watch, but it was very much billed as you know if you don't want to get involved in the festive cheer, you can watch some people be really fucking horrible to each other. Mm. There was uh, Django Unchained. That's yep. got snow in it. Last year, this year it's The Revenant. That's also got snow in it. I'm starting to sense a theme emerging here. Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio films with snow in it. Yeah, for which he won't win an Oscar. No. Um, yeah. That's that's speaking bad. about that, I said on Twitter this week, but I re- the only reason I'm rooting for Leonardo DiCaprio to win an Oscar is I really want to see what the I don't give a shit anymore part of his career looks like. Because mm. if he finally wins it and he starts putting in all the effort, it's like, is he going to be in like Adam Sandler Netflix films? Is he just going to start playing villains in superhero movies? I really want to see what he does when he has kind of reached the pinnacle and thinks, ah, I can just rest on my laurels. Mm, I'll do a Wicker Man remake. <laughs> oh, um, that's the only thing that stopped him from being Nick Cage all this time is that he had that people have been withholding. What kind of Christmas films remind you of like Christmas like as a youth? Are you kind of uh, having to watch The Great Escape or things like that? Uh, over the Christmas period, Star Wars reminds me of it a lot because they used to air Star Wars quite a lot over the Christmas period. Certainly in the nineties, like they'd be a Christmas, it'd be on one day, then the next, and the next. Um, Lord of the Rings kind of does as well because those ex- extended edition DVDs always came out around Christmas time, so that was like a, a, a thing to do on over Christmas is just you know uh, lay out a block of four hours and watch the film and then another block of like 12 hours and watch all the extra features mm. and yeah those films are kind of tied to that time of year as well aren't they because the cinema releases were kind of start of uh, december weren't they yeah and then again like the narnia the first narnia film tried to replicate that king kong there's always that uh, that is kind of been uh, and also i think the first harry potter film came out around that time of year as well mm-hmm. it's very much a, a case where people think this is a time to really lure people in with big fantasy spectacle, or at least it has been in the kind of the 21st century so far. Mm. Of the conventional Christmas family classics, it's still very much rooted in older films. Do you think any newer films are making a kind of play for inclusion in Christmas classic territory? I mean, the one that springs to mind for me is Elf is actually pretty good. Yeah, Elf was on the TV when I went to the um, opticians earlier in the week, and that was very, that's a very much a film that is very very easy to just get sucked into because it is really really charming. It's mm. it's so fun and funny, and it has such a, a winning sense of humor, and everyone in it having the time of their lives. They seem to almost know that they're in a film that could be a Christmas classic, but they're not really pushing it too much, as opposed to something like Four Christmases, you know, which came out a few years later. It's like they're thinking, you know, it feels really cynical. It's like if this film hits really big, this is going to get played every year and we're just going to make so much in royalties. Mm. I think Bad Santa kind of falls into that category as well, similar to Elf. Obviously, it's not as wholesome and family friendly, but it is very much a film that has built an audience based on the fact that it's really, really funny. And it also has this kind of scabrous streak to it, which I think works really well for people who you know, maybe get overwhelmed by the sheer amount of Christmas that exists around this time of year in, in terms of the Christmas specials and the 
songs there everywhere, which fortunately now that I no longer work in a customer service job, I don't really have to endure so much. Mm, I was walking around a supermarket the other day and uh, under my left arm I had tucked, for reasons that will become obvious, a giant tin of wagon wheels because why wouldn't you buy a tin of wagon wheels? They're amazing. And uh, there was a Christmas song on, I can't remember what it was, and I was just tapping on it in time with the music, and then a guy who was stuck in shelves walked past me and just went, you wouldn't be fucking tapping if you had to listen to this old fucking dear. <laughs> I was just like, wow, that's one of the most Yorkshire things anyone has ever said to me, and I now feel even less Christmassy than I did before. But I've got wagon wheels, so that's kind of worked out all right, actually. I've broken even on that one. I'm disappointed that something like Love Actually is considered now a Christmas film, mm. a like, Christmas classic film, because that film is kind of like repellent in pretty much every human sense. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of half-formed, not particularly good stories thrown together to make it seem like they have some sort of meaning, uh, which mm. em- uh, emphasises how meaningless they all are. Yeah, and starts with someone evoking 9-11, to uh, to kind of uh, make people kind of like a bit woozy about a romantic comedy. That is possibly one of the most despicable openings to a film, I think. Oh, yeah, I remember going to see that in the cinema and just being like, what the fuck are you talking about, Hugh Grant? <laughs> why, why are you talking about 9-11 at the start of this, uh, what is being billed as the, you know, the ultimate Christmas movie? It's, uh, mm. yeah, it's, it's very, very jarring. And I don't think removing that would necessarily make the film better but i certainly feel like it would get off on a slightly better foot if the opening words were when people the planes were going down the letter the phone calls people were making were ones of love it's like that is that is misjudged that is a misjudged stance to take for a manipulative film anyway to start that way to basically saying if you don't enjoy this film you're with the terrorists. <laughs> Pretty much it. Let I me mean, let's get down to brass tacks. It's a horrible thing to say, and I I fucking hate that film, man. I really, and they're going to show it every Christmas. And yeah, well, I'm going to get my um, Christmas Radio Times tomorrow, and I'm, if it's there, I'm just going to cross out in black pen. <laughs> redact because exactly, I've redact love redactually. Yeah, there's just been a, a quick Christmas hello uh, this time because obviously we've got our big episode coming next week. So we won't kind of keep you very long. So we'd just like to kind of say uh, thanks for listening, everyone, up to this point, and have a kind of nice Christmas. And what are you doing for Christmas, Ed, this year? Probably having a very, very big meal and going to the cinema to see something. I'm not sure what the big Christmas release actually is. I think it's Joy with Jennifer Lawrence, so uh, okay. maybe that. I mean, I don't really like David O. Russell's films, and the reviews haven't been stellar. But mm. it has become a tradition uh, over here to go and watch a film on on Christmas Day. It, nothing has quite topped going uh, to watch The Wolf of Wall Street at like ten in the morning <laughs> on Christmas Day. That was that was a real highlight for me. But uh, we'll, we'll uh, hopefully uh, something will one day live up to that. Um, I got a quick question. Like now you live in America, does that mean you have to eat turkey twice? Like you have to have it for Thanksgiving and Christmas because no one wants to do that. Uh, no, we usually have like beef or something on Christmas oh, Day. Common sense prevails because turkey's bullshit. No one likes turkey. No, you have mean, to have it twice in a month. It's stupid. Yeah, I mean, I, I very very occasionally I'll have very very nice turkey, but it is one of those things where I can count the nice turkey meals I've had on like one hand. And the rest of it is mm, just on one like, finger. Yeah, and the rest of the time it's like, it's, I wish I was eating chicken or <laughs> gravel, something that's <laughs> something that's got a little more texture to it than this kind of fatty bird. Mm, yeah, yeah. 
that's it everyone thanks for listening and a Merry Christmas just remind you of what we said at the start of the episode we are requesting that you give us Christmas presents in the form of a lovely review on iTunes it's very simple takes a couple of minutes and it really does help us reach more people we'll be back next week like we said with our end of year episode our wrap up until then it's goodbye from me and goodbye from me and goodbye from me <laughs>